the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Come get eat. The following program is sponsored Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy returns to the subject of total grace. When grace appears in a life, certain things disappear, like ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what we're being taught here. Grace will teach us to say no to the ungodliness that marked our lives and the worldly desires, the appetites that we satisfied outside the will of God. Welcome to Know the Truth with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today, we're returning to the topic of total grace. Philip is calling us to a clear and biblical understanding of God's grace that covers us from the beginning to the end. And as we get ready to close out this important series, Philip reinforces the importance of grace. It's God's grace that saves us, changes us, and schools us for life. Philip has taken us back to school for a lesson about the work of schooling grace. Growing up, I was never very good at English grammar and kind of still struggle to some degree with it. When I was at Rathcoe Secondary School, I wasn't very proficient in English composition or conversation. I didn't always cross my T and dot my I in terms of my grammar. In fact, I remember during one class asking the teacher if I could be excused to go to the restroom. I think I put it like this exactly. Excuse me, miss, can I go to the toilet? She looked at me with the look that only an English teacher can give you. And she replied, I don't know, Philip, can you? (laughs) But she said, you may go if you want to go. And at that point, I got up, took the walk of shame to the door, having been duly rebuked as a cultural barbarian. It's not can I, it's may I. Now, having spoke about bad grammar, I want to talk to you a minute about what Sinclair Ferguson calls bad spiritual grammar. I came across this interesting quote in a book of his on sanctification devoted to God. Here's what he says. Christians often seem to fall back into bad spiritual grammar. Think of a situation in which a child picks up the habit of saying, me and John played football. And you gently correct him. In English, we say John and I. And so they reply, okay, John and I played football. But three days later, they relapse. And they talk about me and John playing football. As believers, we can also relapse into a misuse of gospel grammar, falling back into this native tendency to turn the gospel on its head as though justification is by grace, but the Christian life is essentially a form of self-help. 
It is therefore vital to see that in Paul's gospel, both justification and sanctification are rooted in the mercies of God. It's a good challenge. We need to watch out for bad spiritual grammar. And that thought is the gateway into our text here in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Because in this series on total grace, have we not reminded ourselves often that grace is not just the way in to the Christian life, it's the way on in the Christian life. At no point, at no point in the Christian experience does it become a matter of self-effort or self-help. The grace of God that saves us is the grace of God that will keep us, is the grace of God that will change us, is the grace of God that will equip us onto every good work. It's the grace of God that will land us in heaven itself. Didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. And whatever you see me doing, it's the grace of God doing it in me. He also says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 that God will make all grace abound to us in all things so that we might do an abundance of good works. It is grace that will produce those good works. Grace isn't a push at the top of the hill and you're off on your own after that. You know, when we lived in Ohio, in Toledo, every Christmas the snow would come and if it was a good snow day, we'd get the girls and our sleds and we would go around to a local high school which had a wonderful hill You know, not too small, not too big. It was long and half the neighborhood would be there. And there you would be on the top of the hill. Your girls or your boys would get onto their sled and all you'd hear would be what? Daddy, give us a push. Daddy, give us a push. And you and I need to understand that grace is not that. It's not God giving us a push at the top of the hill. And then we take it from there. No, the Christian life is a matter of total grace. Didn't we see that in Ephesians 2? It's grace that redeems us from sin and damnation. Didn't we see that in 2 Corinthians 12? It is grace that sustains us in the midst of trials. Didn't we see that in Hebrews 4? That it is grace that fortifies us in the face of temptation. Didn't we see that in Romans 12, where it is grace that equips us for kingdom usefulness? Didn't we see that in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, where it is grace that motivates our giving? Didn't we see that in Colossians 3, where it is grace that inspires our worship and singing? Didn't we see that in Colossians 4, where it is grace that helps us be a better witness and speak the word of the gospel in evangelism? It's total grace. And today in our final sermon in this series, we're going to see that grace teaches us holiness of life. This is what I'm calling schooling grace. The grace of God will teach us. You see, The grace of God will not only save us, it will sanctify us. It will transform our life. The effect of grace is very clear here. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and that grace will train you, teach you to say no to ungodliness and worldliness and to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Grace is not given that sin may abound. Grace is given that godliness may increase. Jude 4 warns us that there are some who turn God's grace into an excuse for lewdness or lasciviousness or sin. Paul kind of addresses that, doesn't he? This idea of false grace. Well, God is gracious. God forgives. So it doesn't matter that you sin because there's forgiveness for your sin. And Paul says in Romans 5, 20 through to chapter 6, verse 2, Do we sin that grace might abound? What does he say? 
God forbid. No way, Jose. That's just not right. God's grace not only saves us, it sanctifies us. Now you can come to Jesus just as you are, just as I am without one plea. But you will not stay the way you are when God's grace saves you. You will start to become holy, separated from the world. You will obey God's commands. You will keep in step with the Spirit. Grace is power, not just pardon. I like what John Calvin said. Grace does not grant permission to live in the flesh. It supplies power to live in the Spirit. It's a good word. So let's come and look at this idea of schooling grace as we find it in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. I want you to notice since we put the text into its context that our section, our pericope begins with the conjunction for or because. So it's tied to the verses that go before. And in the verses that go before, older women are instructed to live in such a manner and they're to instruct younger women to live in a particular manner. And older men are told to teach younger men to live in a certain manner. And bond servants or slaves are told that they are to live in a way that pleases their masters. They're not to steal. They're to be faithful and good in their work so that they may adorn or beautify God's doctrine. And what we have in our passage is motivation to do that. Motivation to do that for, because, why should older women teach younger women? Why should older men teach younger men? Why should young women listen to older women? Why should young men listen to older men? Why should slaves serve their masters with integrity? Because grace teaches you to do that. The grace that appeared, bringing salvation to all men, teaches you to do that. So let's come and look at this passage. There's three things I want us to see. Grace-inspired leaving, grace-inspired living, grace-inspired looking. Jump right in. Grace-inspired leaving. This is verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. In coming after Christ, having come to Christ, this text teaches us we're not only going to deny ourselves as Jesus teaches and take up our cross, we're going to deny the lifestyle that marked us before we were saved. That's what we're being taught here. The grace of God that appears, the epiphany of Jesus Christ at his first coming where he comes to die for sinners and provide salvation for those who will trust in him, that grace that has appeared to all men when it saves a man or saves a woman, it will change them. And they will leave the prior lifestyle behind. Elsewhere, Paul says what? 2 Corinthians five seventeen, If any man in Christ, he's a new creature and all things pass away. Grace will teach us to say no to the ungodliness that marked our lives and the worldly desires, the appetites that we satisfied outside the will of God. I want you to notice the kind of play. Grace has appeared, and the consequence is certain things will disappear in your life. When grace appears in a life, certain things disappear, like ungodliness and worldly passions. Let's unpack this. Let's just take that first phrase, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That word appeared is a beautiful word. It's a Greek word that gives us the word epiphany or dawn. It's the shining of a great light. It speaks of Jesus, the light of the world entering into the darkness. But I want you to notice the emphasis is not on who, but what. 
Those two things are inseparable. But the emphasis is on what appeared when Jesus appeared. Grace appeared. What is grace? William Hendrickson, I think, has got a great definition. God's grace is His active favor bestowing the greatest gift upon those who deserve the greatest punishment. Amen? And that grace has appeared to all men, all kinds of people, all categories of people, because Paul has divided people up into categories. There's men and women in verses 1 through 10. There's old and young in verses 1 through 10. There's masters and slaves in verses 1 through 10. And Jesus Christ has come to provide salvation for all kinds of people. Now, here's the point I want us to get just before I move on. Do you notice that from Christianity's point of view, it is God who reaches down to us rather than us reaching up to Him. Amen? See, religion teaches us that we can connect with God by reaching up to Him through doing good and being good, keeping the golden rule. But the Bible says, no, salvation doesn't come by us reaching up to God in self-effort, pleading our case based on what we are doing where we're maybe doing more good than bad, so maybe that cancels out the bad. No. No, if you're going to be saved, it's going to be by the grace of God alone. It's God reaching down to you. It's God providing salvation for you in the death of His Son. For God so loved the world, He gave. It's what God did, not what we do, that will be the basis of our acceptance before God. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 5, what do we read? Actually, back up into verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's why I like the quote by Oz Guinness. We cannot find God without God. We cannot reach God without God. The secret of the quest lies not in our brilliance, but in His grace. My friend, if you're not saved today, if you don't know Jesus Christ in a flash, you can be saved today by acknowledging your sin, laying down every hope that that sin can be covered through self-effort, law-keeping, and recognize that God did it all. That's why we sing that old hymn. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, the grace of God. You can never satisfy a holy God, but a holy God has satisfied himself. Put your faith where God has put your sin. But let's move on. This grace that has appeared to all kinds of people, every category imaginable, this grace that brings salvation also teaches us who have come to know that salvation that we ought to say no. This Greek word is a word that speaks about training a child. It gives us our word pedagogue. This is the picture of a parent. Now, Paul could have used the word didasco, which speaks of instructing in a classroom, but I don't think that would carry what he wants. Because you can go to the community college at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night, and an hour or two, you're done with your instruction. But a parent's never done instructing. It's a 24-7 assignment. And plus, it fits Paul's analogy better. One of the things a Christian needs to hear is no. And we all know as Christians, early on in our children's lives, that's one of our favorite words, no. Our little granddaughter just turned one, is now walking, so she's exploring 
which is dangerous. Getting all kinds of mischief. And we're finding for the first time in quite a while, we're all saying, no. And she looks over her shoulder to see what she can get away with. No. That's the picture. Paul's saying, hey, now you're in the family. The grace of God's going to say no to your old lifestyle. And you know what? We need to hear that in a world that says no to nothing. But you see, we're different. We're God's own special people. We walk to a different drumbeat. We march out of step with the crowd. We're God's own people who he wants to redeem from every lawless deed. So in a world that says no to nothing, you can live it or where you want. You can believe it or where you want. It's okay. In that world that says no to nothing is a band of people called Christians who say no to certain beliefs and behaviors because they're outside the will of God. We need to learn to say no in a world that says no to nothing. And the grace of God will teach us that. Now notice the two things we're to say no to. Number one, ungodliness. Number two, worldly passions. Let me just unpack these quickly. Ungodliness. That means a life devoid of God at its essence. A life without reference to God. A life that doesn't acknowledge God as creator, authority, lawgiver. A life even if acknowledges the presence of God will not thank Him or acknowledge Him. That's ungodliness. In its blatant forms, it's murder, theft, adultery, anything that clearly violates the moral law of God. But in its subtle forms, it can be prayerlessness. What is prayerlessness? It's godlessness. It's acting as if you don't need God. Arrogant planning, James 4, where you plan out your future, but you never put in there, if God wills, that's godlessness. Missing Sunday worship, where God has commanded His people to gather on the Lord's day to celebrate His Son's death and resurrection, stir one another up on the love and good works. No, you've got more important things to do, more important people to see than God Himself in the assembly of the saints. That's all godlessness. There's blatant godlessness and there's subtle godlessness. And we're told here to say no to it all. In fact, just to kind of make my point, when you go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, you've got a list of blatant things that are godless. When we describe man in that passage, he's immoral, he's dishonest, he's cruel, he's evil, he's debased in his sexual behavior, so on and so forth. So in that sense, ungodliness is very blatant and seen in very stark terms. But what lies beneath it? This is the subtle ungodliness. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. That's ungodliness at its heart. It will show itself in different ways, both blatantly and subtly. But at its heart, that's what ungodliness is. It is not recognizing God. It is not glorifying Him in your life. It is not giving thanks to Him for all that He is and does. In fact, just recently, June and I encountered ungodliness in a very strange place, the Kennedy Space Center. That day, we were in one of their IMAX theaters, and we watched this movie about the world. It was beautiful, both from Earth and from outer space. And you saw the beauty, the vastness, the complexity, and the order of the universe. Now, the movie was narrated by the Hollywood actress Jennifer Lawrence, and she kind of draws this idea out and ask this question, because you've just seen the beauty, the vastness, the complexity of the universe. And here's how she kind of ends the movie towards the end. Here's what she says. Doesn't it make you wonder if there's another planet like us and people like us? 
Now, in my heart, I said, no, Jennifer. It makes me wonder what the Creator is like, how glorious He must be, given the vastness, beauty, and order of the universe. I want to tell you, that was godlessness. That was looking at the whole creation. And what do we take from that? Is there anybody like us? Sad. He just did what Romans 1 tells us to do. They neither acknowledged or glorified the Creator. We're to turn from that. Grace tells us to say no to that. The next thing is worldly lusts or passions or desires. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us that you have certain desires that war against the Spirit. What might those desires be? Uncontrolled speech, immoral sexual fantasies, unrighteous anger, selfish ambition. It could be a legitimate desire that is fulfilled in an illegitimate way, or it could be just an illegitimate desire from the get-go. Any of that ends up being something you need to say no to. It speaks of an inordinate preoccupation with material tastes, things, toys, thrills. Being preoccupied with life in an inordinate manner where God gets pushed to the side, where His kingdom is not first and His will is not in the driving seat. So the grace of God will teach us to say no to that. And I think it's important you remember that it's the grace of God that will teach you to say no to that. It's the grace of God that will help you to say no to that. Because there are things we must say no to, but how can we say no to them and stick to it? Because you and I have got to that place. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that, but we do it. Now, we have tried to avoid it in self-effort. We try to tell ourselves, you know, if we get caught, this is the consequence We might try and tell this is a breaking of God's law. We might even share that with an accountability group. And all those things are good. But I want to tell you, first and foremost, the fear of getting caught, the law of God, or even accountability will not keep you from sin. Only grace will do that. Only grace can empower you to say no. Victory over sin isn't a matter of what I do, but what Jesus can do in my dependence upon Him. Our self-efforts to live a godly life must be grounded in grace. It's grace alone that can break the cycle of sin in our lives. Jesus, we read in verse 14, died to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify Himself of people that are special to Him. Jesus will do that. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth, and today's message is part of the Total Grace series. You can hear all the messages in this clarifying study online at ktt.org, or purchase the messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811. In this comprehensive study of God's grace, Philip has reminded us that we're saved by grace alone, but grace continues to transform the believer's life right on into heaven. We hope it's a message you'd like others to hear. But it takes a significant budget to keep producing and delivering this program on the radio and on the web. So we count on listeners like you to support the ministry of Know the Truth with your regular financial gifts. There are two great ways to give. Make a one-time donation or become a monthly Truth Ambassador. It's easy to give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And today, when your gift is $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Philip's newest book, Help, I'm Anxious. It's no newsflash that life is full of stress and many of us battle worry and anxiety. But there is help, and the biblical steps to freedom are clearly laid out in Philip's book, Help, I'm Anxious. 
Ask for your copy today when you become a monthly Truth Ambassador or when you give a one-time donation of $25 or more to Know the Truth. Again, call us at 888-644-8811 or donate online at ktt.org. And when you visit our website, be sure to let us know how this ministry is impacting your walk with Christ. If you're new to Know the Truth, we'd also like to send you a free CD message from Philip titled, Handling the Pressure. It's another practical resource you can request at ktt.org. Again, that's ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for the inspiring conclusion of the Total Grace series. That's coming up Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Attention small business owners. If you operate a retail business and are looking for great selling products with high margins, consider becoming a Nebo dealer. Nebo was founded by Christian business owners Bob and Glenn Bollinger and is the leading brand for independent retailers everywhere. Here's why. Nebo partners with retailers to maximize valuable counter space, a constant stream of new innovative lights, incredible impulse displays, and an industry-only buyback guarantee, which means Nebo will buy back your inventory in the unlikely event it doesn't sell. So if you own a retail business of any type, become a Nebo dealer and start turning profits like never before. Receive a free no-obligation sample of a great Nebo light and see for yourself. That's right. Get a free Nebo light and a Nebo catalog. To get your free flashlight and catalog, go to NeboDealer.com or call 847-312-8197. That's NeboDealer.com or call 847-312-8197. Selfless service is... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.